0: we began a series in the Gospel of Matthew. This is message number three in that series, entitled, The Nazarene King. And we're going to be looking at all of chapter two here this morning. And to begin, I want to read the first two verses. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So Matthew began his gospel by providing three witnesses to Jesus of Nazareth as the promised Messiah. He gave his legal genealogy showing his descent from David He gave the sign miracle of the virgin birth, and also the fulfillment of prophecy found in the Old Testament scriptures. So from the start, Matthew presents the story of Jesus in light of the Old Testament and in the flow of the history of Israel. And he emphasized the fulfillment of prophecy in the virgin birth of Jesus, adding a A very human and personal touch in considering the Joseph part of the story. Um, Joseph was obviously troubled when he finds that his betrothed is three months pregnant, um, and we can only imagine what uh, sort of trouble of mind that that would cause. And God sent an angel to him in a dream to explain, to tell him what he must do, and Joseph responded, Um, faithfully um, to the word of the Lord that was sent to him. So now we come to chapter 2, and Matthew jumps ahead uh, somewhat in time after the birth of Jesus and during the infancy of Jesus. Now when you read this chapter you realize that Matthew doesn't tell us anything about Jesus as a child. It doesn't tell us what kind of baby that he was or uh, how old he was when he began to walk or began to talk or, um, you know, any of those milestones, you know, that we always want to know and, and we always... Uh, remember, uh, at least unless you have several children, and then the memory starts getting a little fuzzy when you get down to some of the younger ones. But you know, you remember those sort of things, and you mark those sort of things in your mind. And Matthew doesn't tell us those sort of things. Um, he his purpose when you read this chapter is to continue to emphasize the fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures concerning. Jesus Christ and to show the response to him. In other words, Matthew's not giving us a human interest piece. He's giving us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is going to continue, actually, as we go throughout Matthew's gospel. We're going to continue to see Jesus and his words and his actions and events surrounding him in light of the Old Testament scriptures and the history of Israel as he is the fulfillment. Um, He is the Messiah sent from God. Now, chapter 2 covers two primary events um, and Herod the Great's connection, actually, to both of them. So we have the visit of the Magi, which causes a, quite a stir, and it piques Herod's interest and also his anger. And so Joseph has to take Mary and Jesus to Egypt until Herod's death, which may seem like a, sort of a, a, an emergency fleeing situation, um, but it's actually, once again, Matthew points out the fulfillment of Scripture. So as we look at this, we will focus on the two events. So in verses 1 to 12, we read about the visit of the Magi, and in verses 13 um, to 23, uh, where we read of Jesus coming out of Egypt. So we want to begin in the first part here. We're going to read about the visit of the Magi, begin with verses 1 and 2 again. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, this Herod that is referred to here is Herod the Great. Um, he was the founder of the famous line of the Herods that um, ruled in Judea around this time. Um, The Herods were of Idumean descent, which means that they were Edomites or that they came from the line of Esau. He was ambitious, he was protective of his position, and he certainly was a politician. He was known to have had two of his sons murdered. Um, in order to prevent an uprising and uh, that would possibly seek to remove him from power. Um, there was a saying that um, came up around Herod that it was safer to be his hog than his son because you had uh, a chance at living longer if you were his hog rather than his son. I'm not sure where that origi- originated, but I did read that in several places that that saying was, was said pertaining to him. He was also famous in his ambition for his many building projects. It seems like that um, Herod the Great was a man who was indeed in search of a legacy. Um, He was responsible actually for the rebuilding and the expansion of the temple in Jerusalem, which was a project um, that took many decades and actually um, lasted, it wasn't really completed until after his Death, but it was probably his most famous um, landmark um, project that he was involved in. We also have mentioned here these wise men from the east, and most likely they were um, they were Babylonian or they were Persian um, magi, possibly could have been uh, Arabian from east of Israel, but uh, we don't really don't know for sure. Um, the Magi, as they are described, that's the word that is, is used for them here, um, they, that really covers quite a range uh, of things. They were astronomers. They were astrologers. They were somewhat what we might think of as scientists. Um, they were soothsayers. They could be involved in various occult practices and so it's, it's hard to say for certain. Uh, again, it could cover quite a range of, of activities and, and um, y- you know, investigations and disciplines. But we're told that they journeyed to Jerusalem. And obviously they had some knowledge of Old Testament prophecy concerning the promised king of the Jews. And the expression that they were, they were saying or essentially they were asking uh, around Jerusalem figuring that his his birth was a momentous and known event which which tells us that they're going around Jerusalem essentially asking everyone that that they come across you know where, where is he that was born king of the jews and nobody has any idea so they mentioned that, that a star had appeared and presumably this star appeared when he was born and the word for star is Um, Nothing unusual, just means a star. And as we read on, we'll see, though, that this certainly wasn't any sort of a normal star. It was some sort of um, supernatural um, star uh, or object or or whatever the case may be. Look at verses 3 to 8. Now, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him Also, so the Magi had caused uh, quite a stir around Jerusalem, going around and asking um, this question about where was he that was born king of the Jews. And eventually word makes it to Herod, who was the king in Judea. It was a king uh, appointment by the, the Roman Empire. Herod was very disturbed. And the language that's used to describe it, that he was very agitated, very disturbed of mind. To hear this news, no doubt, um, Herod and and there's some thought that possibly by this point, um, the Edomans or or the, the descendants of the Edomites had had somewhat intermingled um, with the Jews. Herod possibly could have had some Jewish blood in his in his bloodline, but he certainly wouldn't have been um, viewed as a a pure uh, pure blood Jew or anything. But he obviously had knowledge of the Jews, he had knowledge of of the Old Testament, knowledge of the prophecies, and he was very agitated um, to hear that one born king of the Jews was among them. So we're told here that he calls for the chief priests and the scribes of Israel. Now we talked about um, some of these characters that we encounter in um, the the Gospel of Matthew, some of the different groups, and the chief priests priests um, were of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were essentially the controlling party um, in Israel. They, uh, the priests were Sadducees. Uh, the Sadducees had control of the Sanhedrin. They were essentially the highest power in Israel at that time. And so the chief priests were um, Sadducees and the scribes are mentioned here. The scribes, you recall, now these were the, the professional copyists of the law. They were essentially viewed as, as being the, the keepers of the sacred text, um, in a sense, and the teachers of the law. And they were experts in the law, and they were primarily Pharisees, though not all. Um, Herod, so Herod calls them together. In other words, these are the leading authorities in Israel that Herod is calling to consult. And he inquires of them, where is it that the Messiah was to be born? And they refer him to the Old Testament prophecy and the little town of Bethlehem, Bethlehem of Judea, which means the Bethlehem that was south of Jerusalem, not the Bethlehem that was another place um, further north of Jerusalem. And they're referring to the prophecy of Micah, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now Herod receives this information, and he passes this information on to the Magi after he meets with them privately or secretly. And we see how that Herod is concealing his real motive. He's finding out information. So he consults the chief priests and the scribes. Where is it that he was supposed to be born? Okay, now he meets with um, the Magi and he questions them about the exact time that the star appeared and then sends them on to Bethlehem in order to return to him and report what they find. And the fact that he calls them privately or secretly meant that he was keeping them separate from the ruling Jews of Israel. Look at verses 9 to 12. When they, had heard the, uh, when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, And fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So they left from their meeting with Herod, they left from Jerusalem, going to Bethlehem, a distance of about six miles, um, as I understand it, uh, that they would have traveled. And the star appears, the star that they had seen at the first, this star appears again, and it guides them to the house where Jesus was. So this, this star, as we read about it here in, in this part of the account, this star was something that um, uh, moved. It led them until it stopped over the house where Jesus was, and so there was no, there was no mistaking it. They were guided right there by this particular star. And they were in a house, we read about. So Joseph and Mary and, and Jesus were in a house. And he's, Jesus is described as being a young child. So. Um, we have to understand this is later after the, the birth of Jesus. He, he, he was not in a manger here. He's not in a stable. Um, this is sometime after his birth. Uh, and given Herod's words in verse number 16, we can assume that he was anywhere up to two years old at the time of their visit. Maybe not two exactly, but probably at least a year old and, and maybe maybe even a little older at the time of this visit. Now the Magi were told that they rejoiced uh, to see this star again, and and the words that Matthew uses are describing just a an overflowing joy. They they were they were extremely um, joyed to see this star again because they believed that they were going to see the King of the Jews, and they they go before the they go before the child Jesus. They bow before him, uh, and the the word can actually indicate that they're like foreheads to the ground, um, bowing before the child Jesus, and they're presenting him these gifts. Um, Gold is is obviously a valuable treasure. It's a valuable treasure today. It's been a valuable treasure throughout history. It was a valuable treasure in that day. Um, The frankincense and myrrh were aromatic spices from Arabia that were expensive, and they were also highly prized. So in in other words, these are what would be considered royal gifts. These, this, these certainly were no common gifts um, that would be given in, in any, any common way to a common person. So that, again, this speaks of the idea that these were royal gifts for Jesus who was born King of the Jews. Now the second of the six occurrences of dreams in the book of Matthew is recorded here. And this is a dream that was given to the Magi. And we're not given any detail about the dream other than that God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod in Jerusalem. And then we read of how they obeyed and they went home another way. And that brings us to the next part of this chapter and the second primary event, and that is um, going down to Egypt. So let's begin here with verses 13 to 15. And when they departed, and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, "Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, "Out of Egypt have I called my son." So we see the third dream here in Matthew's gospel. And if you recall, uh, out of the New Testament, there are only six dreams where God speaks to someone in a dream, reveals something to them in a dream. There's only six times that occurs in the New Testament. All six of them are in Matthew. Uh, This is the third of the six, and if you recall, five of the six are actually all here surrounding the birth of Jesus, and the very last one is in in connection with his death. So this is the third dream, and this angel of the Lord, an angel from the Lord, appears to Joseph in a dream, and again, note how that the angel speaks a plain warning to Joseph and, and, and instructions to Joseph, commanding him to take... Uh, Mary and to take Jesus and to go into Egypt because of Herod because Herod will seek to destroy the child and you and you stay in Egypt until I send you word to return and so when Joseph woke up he did as the angel said um, he, and, he, of course, he, we are told that he, he does go by night. He does depart in a, in a, a manner secretly. So um, could very well have been what we would consider very early morning before the break of day um, that they left. But nevertheless, under the, under the cover of, of darkness, they steal away to Egypt. And Matthew notes once again how that this action fulfills Old Testament prophecy. Now he's referring to Hosea chapter 11 in verse 1, where the prophet Hosea wrote, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Now, Hosea's reference, when you read the book of Hosea, Hosea's reference here seems to be an historical reference to Israel, how much that God had loved and what he had done for um, Israel in bringing them out of Egypt. But, the Exodus is actually an event that is connected in earlier prophecy to both Israel and the Messiah. So, back in the book of Numbers, in chapter 23, and verse number 22, speaking of Israel, um, the prophecy there states God brought them out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. This is Balaam's prophecy about. Um, how he's obviously he's not able to curse or to do anything against Israel uh, unless God permits it but then when you go on Numbers chapter 24 and verse number 8 now in in this particular prophecy this is actually about the Messiah this is about um, his his future coming his subduing of nations and such so in Numbers chapter 24 and verse number 8 we also have this God brought him forth out of Egypt He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He shall eat up the nations, his enemies. So we have a prophecy pertaining to Israel... Um, speaking in reference to the Exodus from Egypt. We have a prophecy of the Messiah that is speaking in reference to the Exodus from Egypt. Then we have Hosea chapter 11 and verse number one that speaks of Israel in connection with the Exodus. And Matthew, who now is reporting that Jesus went down into Egypt because he was taken by Joseph and Mary and connecting this with the Messiah and the fulfillment of Scripture. So Hosea is also prophesying of the Messiah as you read Hosea's prophecy he's going to go on to prophesy the future restoration of Israel so the point is is that these events they are connected as the fulfillment of prophecy and Matthew is connecting this prophecy with the significance of the coming of Jesus and the events surrounding his birth and his early life that ultimately culminate in the deliverance and restoration of Israel Now, verses 16 to 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. So Herod was enraged when the Magi did not return and report to him, and you recall he had carefully inquired about the timing of the star, and so he had two particular pieces of information that he was able to put to use he knew that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem, and he knew when, according to the the magi, when the star appeared. And so based on this information that he had already gathered, he responds by ordering the slaughter of all of the male children to and under in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. Now, I certainly don't in any way want to downplay what takes place here, and I don't know about you, but as I have read this in, in the past and, and have thought on this, uh, m- my thoughts have generally been on a very large scale, but really when we, when we look at it um, historically and, and such, and I've read um, a number of, of scholars and their opinions and why and, and such on this, Bethlehem was actually a very small place. And the number of of male um, children, two years old and under, uh, I've read estimates that probably said at most may have been about 20, um, but was probably even less, you know, that were living in that region at that time. Um, Now, again, I'm I'm not saying that to downplay what has happened in, in any way but some of the, sometimes people make note of the fact that there's really no uh, or very little reference to this historically um outside the bible and such but there is reference to it there is historical reference to it but my my point is on the in the grand scheme of things and when you look into the to the herods and the 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 life history of the herods and all I can just say is just what a mess that that is. You realize that this isn't really all that significant in all of the atrocities. I mean, Herod had his own sons murdered, had one of his wives murdered. He had various other people murdered that that he thought were in some way a political threat to him or or what have you. So again, I'm just saying historically... This really just seemed to be just a footnote in the in the list of atrocities. But obviously, it is a very significant event. It is a very terrible, um, terrible event. So again, I'm not trying to downplay it in any way. I'm just saying that that historically, it doesn't look as large scale um, as what we might think. It wasn't any number in the hundreds, or 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 you know, wiping out a whole village, or or any anything like that. But he did order those male children to be killed, again, because of um, the threat to uh, his rule. And Matthew tells us that once again, even in this event, that Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled. Now, he refers to Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 15. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Now when you go back and read Jeremiah, Jeremiah was referring to the exile and he was referring to the lamentations that were associated with the exile and all of the all of the you know the children being being carried off, and um, when you read in some uh, places in Isaiah and, and some of the other prophecies, Israel in exile was oftentimes compared um, to an old, impoverished, widowed woman, bereft of her children and family, uh, essentially um, poverty-stricken, and and obviously this goes along with this image of the exile and the children being taken away. And Jeremiah is going to go on there to prophesy about the end of the exile. So Matthew sees here what could be referred to as a, a typological fulfillment connecting Jesus with the ending of the exile, um, though that ending will actually not occur until his second coming. But again, it's, it's, you might look at it as it's, it's, another, it's another step along the way. It's another step in the direction to that being fulfilled. Then we look at verses 19 to 23, the end of the chapter, "...but when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel." Uh, But when he had heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So the fourth now of the six dreams in Matthew is, is given here. Herod died which was probably not long since Joseph took Jesus and Mary into Egypt. The exact day or date of Herod's death is not something that we know historically, but there is good historical verification that Herod died right around the time of 4 BC. So this could not have been long after the birth of Jesus and so they couldn't have been long in Egypt before that, that Herod died. Again, we don't know exactly how long, but it couldn't have been a very long time. But there's an angel from God that appears to Joseph in a dream, giving him information, giving him instructions, and he informed Joseph that Herod was dead and that he was to return to Israel. Once again, Joseph woke up and he obeyed. Now, after Herod's death, his kingdom was split up between three of his sons. And Joseph was warned now in the fifth of the six dreams. Uh, And so he went into Galilee rather than returning to Judea. So Joseph returned to Nazareth around 70 miles north of Jerusalem. Now, Matthew doesn't mention it particularly here. But in Luke's account, um, you can read at the beginning of Luke chapter number 2 how that um, Joseph went up from um, Nazareth. That was his home place. That was the home place, hometown of Joseph and Mary. And now in this instance, he returns to Nazareth with um, his wife Mary and with uh, with Jesus. And Matthew also notes how that his return to Nazareth fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets. Now this is actually an interesting reference that Matthew makes because there is no specific prophecy about this in the Old Testament. So we had a specific prophecy about him coming, being born in Bethlehem, but we don't have any specific prophecy about him growing up in Nazareth so that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, Matthew does not refer here to Jeremiah or Isaiah or Malachi or, or any, any prophet, but he says the prophets, plural, which generally speaking is a reference in particular to the prophets of the Old Testament, and it's, it's a summary of prophecy that has been given rather than a specific prophecy that was given. So we're told that Jesus was called a Nazarene. Why? Because he grew up in Nazareth. That was where he was from. He's referred to in places as Jesus of Nazareth and uh, referred to as a a leader of the Nazarenes and and various other things that he was called by that name. So he, he went there and he grew up there, so he was called a Nazarene. The fact that he was called a Nazarene refers not specifically to a Nazarene or that that Nazareth is in prophecy that he would grow up there, but rather as to what that meant, what it meant to be called a Nazarene, which comes out a number of times as you go through the Gospels. So the fact that Jesus was called a Nazarene is a reference to his humility. It is a reference to the fact that he was despised and rejected. And we can read prophecies about the Messiah that he would be despised and rejected. Uh, I'll just give you a few samples. Psalm 22, verses 6 to 8. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Of course, the Messianic Psalm, uh, especially about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We studied that some time back. Isaiah chapter 49 and verse number 7. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, To him whom man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. Isaiah 53, 3, probably a little more commonly known, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him, he was despised and we esteemed him not. To be called a Nazarene was to be despised. It was to be insulted. It was to be put down. Um, we see this fulfilled in, in, in Jesus' life. In John chapter 1, verses 45 and 46, Philip findeth Nathanael uh, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Philip is here just identifying who he's talking about. Because again, essentially this is equivalent to what we read in the Old Testament named Joshua. It was a pretty common name. And he's identifying who Jesus is. He's Jesus of Nazareth or from Nazareth. He's the Nazarene. He's the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. We also have some, a few uh, remarks from the Pharisees that are sort of uh, backhanded, um, sort of, of insults toward Jesus' upbringing and being a Galilean and, and things of, of that nature. So when, when Jesus says that he... Was called a or Matthew says rather that he was called a Nazarene. He's referring to the fact that he that he was despised among Israel. He was he was despised among the nation, among the people. He was rejected of them, and a lot of that was just simply based on his background. Can any good thing come from from Nazareth? Philip says, and then uh, or Nathaniel said, and then later the the Pharisees would say. There's no, there's no prophet that comes out of Galilee. There, there's no important person. There's no person of significance that comes from Galilee. Search the Old Testament. That's Galilee. That's, that's, the, that's the country The country folks. That's the country people. Uh, there's no, no, no person of any significance that comes from there. So as we think about this particular chapter, now Matthew is obviously highlighting once again the fact that God has ordered history. God is acting in history to bring Jesus Christ into the world. And it's really what prophecy is when we we think about prophecy from God. God, Prophecy is simply God revealing beforehand what he's going to do or what he has ordered or ordained to be. And so it's not that that prophecy in, in the scripture is that God foresees the future as if he's like a fortune teller and he somehow sees something that's going to happen in in the future that's not that's not biblical prophecy biblical prophecy is revealing beforehand what is going to come to pass because god has ordered it so and so Matthew is, is bringing that out right from the very start. So in chapter 1 and, and in chapter 2, we're seeing, already seeing this emphasized again and again and again by referring to these events and going back. Now, you might think, on Herod's part, what were his motivations? Was his motivations thinking, you know, uh, we really need to fulfill these prophecies here, um, so I'm, I'm going to order that all these babies be killed and all these... Uh, no that's not that's not a that's not a thought in Herod's mind. Herod's thought is I don't I don't want to take a chance on this being true. These Jews have held on for centuries and centuries and centuries that there's these prophecy in these ancient scrolls that talks about how that there's one going to going to rise up is going to be their king is going to overthrow all of the the nations over them and subdue all of their enemies, I'm not going to take a chance on that being true. And so if there's one born that seems to fit these qualifications, I'm going to kill him. That's what Herod is thinking. So Herod is acting out of his own motivations. He's acting out of his own sinful thoughts and his own sinful desires. But again, we look back and, and see how the Bible talks about that even the wrath of man praises God. And the remainder of that wrath, God restrains. So even in these actions that Herod is taking, he's not trying to fulfill prophecy. He's not trying to look to the Old Testament now. Exactly how did that say that was going to happen so I can make sure to, to orchestrate my actions? No, not at all. He, he's doing what his own sinful heart, his own sinful mind wanted to do to protect himself, to protect his reign, to protect his legacy. As, as I have um, read on Herod the Great, my understanding was that he had left some sort of a standing order about that if something happened to him, the the people that were to be murdered, the people that were to be killed. It's just just the sort of man that he was. So Matthew is obviously highlighting and and making a point that that all of these actions of people uh, from Herod, who was opposing and trying to kill Jesus, to the Magi who were coming to pay um, homage to the king of the Jews, to Joseph obeying God's word that was sent to him by a dream. So this also highlights, in in Matthew's account, the response to Jesus. We're already already seeing that start. He's he's, he's barely maybe two years old by the end of of chapter 2, and we're already seeing a division of people based on their response To Jesus, And that's, of course, going to continue in the gospel. So Herod saw him as a dangerous rival and sought to kill him. The Magi, they were Gentiles, and yet they worshipped the king of the Jews. The Jews were mostly unmoved by the events of his birth. The Magi are going around Jerusalem asking about it. They don't know. They don't have any idea. I'm, I'm guessing they might have said, I don't know, I ain't heard nothing about it. So as we look at these first two chapters, we're thinking about this gospel of Matthew. How is it that we respond? How do you respond to the news of Jesus Christ? Are you like so many of the Jews who were unmoved and just go about business as usual? There's many people that respond to the news of Jesus Christ just that way. Eh, I've got work to go to in the morning. What's, what's, what's that matter? I've got this to do. I've got that to do. I've got to fix things around the house. I've I've got these plans. I've got all, all of this. So what, is, what does that matter? Maybe you're like Herod. And you see Jesus, this news of Jesus Christ as being a threat to your little kingdom of your life that you think you rule over. Or... Do you recognize that He is the promised Savior from God, not only of the Jews, but of the nations of the world as well? And obviously, the point is we are to recognize Him and to believe in Him, trust in Him, repent of our sins. And of course, the promise is we will be saved and we will be a part of His future kingdom.